And I'm Chelsea Fairless. Chell, how you doing today? Well, I'm a bit fucking cold. I'm literally wearing mittens in Lauren's house. Do I have a drafty ass house? Yes, I do. But I will not take the heat for this one because I did notice you came into the house with an iced matcha latte. Might that be the reason you have nearly frostbitten fingertips? Yeah, I do think that played a part. Yes. I've recently gotten into matcha, so I feel like that's unlocked a whole new level of being an Angelino. but I feel like the final step is embracing the Tracy Anderson method. Yeah, you are almost there. I do notice you have fake nails as well. It's crazy. I've never had fake nails in my life, and it's not for people that have to do any sort of domestic labor. Like, it's fine until you have to, like, put a duvet cover on. Yeah, you'll notice that I took my fake nails off in preparation of uh, La Movie. Because you have to be like a serious director and not some random whore. (laughs) I was more thinking that I'm not going to have the time for the upkeep of the nails in case one breaks off in the middle of filming. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I love this new side of you. It's like through the looking glass because now you have fake nails. (laughs) I don't. Gwyneth Paltrow's on trial. (laughs) (laughs) Do we want to just launch into this? Why not? Okay, the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. The trial begs the question of our time. Did Academy Award-winning actress turned lifestyle influencer extraordinaire Gwyneth Paltrow ski into an aging optometrist? Or did an aging optometrist ski into Gwyneth Paltrow? The answer might shock you. Well, he skied into her. It is... You're not on his side, are you? I am not. Hey, thank God. I'll set the scene. The date? February 26, 2016. Ted Cruz has eclipsed Trump at the Iowa caucus. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has died. And Gwyneth... (laughs) (laughs) Am I listening to a historical (laughs) podcast? I love this. You are. (laughs) And Gwyneth Paltrow wants to teach her kids how to ski. They are on the bunny slopes of a luxury Deer Valley ski resort when BAM! Somebody crashed into somebody else's back and knocking them to the ground. So yes, the crux of the trial is that Gwyneth Paltrow is like, no, no, you, sir, crashed into me. And he is like, no, no, you crashed into me, resulting in me uh, having permanent brain damage and breaking a bunch of ribs and other, quote, serious injuries. I feel like he probs had brain damage before the accident. Yes, it should be noted the man Terry Sanderson was originally seeking $3.1 million in damages and that lawsuit got dismissed. Now he is back seeking damages of 300000 Gwyneth is suing for a dollar. She countersued him for a dollar in damages and for her lawyer's fees to be covered. She's being fleeced by this motherfucker and his terrifying lawyer, might I say. She thinks she's doing something up there, but it's very like woman on the verge of a minty bee energy. (laughs) There's a YouTube channel that is just a guy going through police interrogations and he'll stop the video and be like, these are when the cops stop being nice and start like getting more aggressive. And it feels like she watched a lot of those videos and she was like, I have to endear myself to Gwyneth. We'll drop the clip here because, I mean, the series of questions that she asks her from being friends with Taylor Swift, and that's the reason she's seeking a dollar amount, to the whole height thing, it's very bizarre. He has deterred you from enjoying the rest of what was a very expensive vacation. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. 
Okay. May I ask how tall you are? I'm just under five. Ten. Okay. I am so jealous. I think I'm shrinking, though. You and me both. I have to wear four-inch heels just to make it to 5'5". Five five, well, so. they're very nice. Well, thank you. I was yelling at him. Pretty loud. Pretty was, forceful. I was pretty upset. Right? You're yeah. small but mighty. Actually, you're not that small. Um, so, and you're not trained in accident reconstruction. Me? Yeah. No. Neither am I. All right. Um, are you good Hi. friends with Taylor Swift? No. Overruled? You're not good friends with Taylor Swift. I would not say we're good friends. We are friendly. I take my kids. I've taken my kids to one of her concerts before, but we don't talk very often. She's clearly obsessed with her. I don't even know if she's obsessed with her or got starstruck or... She's trying to endear herself, and then she was like, gonna go in for the kill with a real gotcha question, but then never got there. It's not even as if she's never talked to a celebrity before. It's as if she's never talked to a human being before. <laughs> it's such a weird vibe. This is very telling. I've been monitoring all of the internet discourse about it, and I think it's very telling that truly the internet's consensus is... God, we don't like Gwyneth Paltrow, but like this guy is fucking crazy and after her money. It's especially fascinating to see this play out a couple of weeks after the minor controversy about her diet and potentially promoting disordered eating and what have you. But it seems like now the general public is back on her side. It was funny after that podcast clip was making the rounds, I think it was on Dumois that someone was like, actually, this is to distract from this lawsuit that's about to happen because it's going to be a lot of bad press for her. And it's like, clearly that was made up because if Gwyneth Paltrow wanted to settle the case for 300000 she could have. It's very clear that she's like, uh, no, I have nothing but time and money and the row slash G-label outfits to wear to court. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing so much G-label in court. And it's really nice that she's not debasing herself by wearing like white skirt suits, which is what celebrities usually do in these situations where they want to proclaim their innocence. She's stayed true to her look. I think the wireframe aviator glasses were a really, really good choice because that always gives off the vibe of like a Ron Galella photo. And I think if you're a celebrity in a courtroom setting, that should be what you're going for. I'm really sad that there's no court sketch artist. I guess maybe yeah. it's a moot point if there are cameras. Yeah, in there's the cameras. So we're glad there's cameras, obviously. I'd rather cameras, but illustrations do have their own campy quality. So the law is in Utah that the skier who is downhill has the right of way. So the central question of the case is who was farther down the hill when the collision transpired, which is why each of them is saying they were run into. I don't know if you saw the recreation of the crash. I think from Gwyneth Paltrow's side, but this man pulled to me getting onto the 101 <laughs> around Universal. He seemingly just crossed five lanes of traffic <laughs> and just like smashed right into her. And Paltrow's claim, right, because if you take his side of the story, it does seem very callous that she crashed into this man, was like, peace, and just like went down the hill. It also doesn't help that when she was on the stand, she was like, I did lose a half a day of skiing. Facts. That <laughs> sucks. But Paltrow's point is like, 
I didn't think anything was wrong. I was told to leave. Also, when I said you ran into my fucking back, he said, I'm sorry. Yeah, he is an opportunist. This is not going to work out in this man's favor. Absolutely not. So when is the trial going to be over? Like, how long is this? So as we are recording, they are making their final statements. So... Fingers crossed that there won't be a verdict by the time that we post this episode. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. Fuck. Hi, guys. It's Lauren from the future, and my middle name isn't Cassandra for nothing because they did indeed reach a verdict after we recorded. You probably already know, but our girl Gwyneth has been vindicated. The jury found Terry Sanderson 100% at fault. Gwyneth will be awarded $1 in damages, and Terry Sanderson must pay all of her legal fees. Gwyneth was seen leaning over Sanderson's shoulder as she left the courtroom and is believed to have whispered, I wish you well. Ice cold, Gwyneth. Later, Gwyneth took to Instagram to say, I felt that acquiescing to a false claim compromised my integrity. I am pleased with the outcome and I appreciate all of the hard work of Judge Holmberg and the jury and thank them for their thoughtfulness in handling this case. All right, guys, that's it. Back to the show. In doing my research for this, I happened upon an article from QZ.com, which is all the wellness products Americans love to buy that are both sold on InfoWars and Goop. Ooh, love that crossover. It's a lot. Like Bragg's apple cider vinegar. Oh, no, I wish. (laughs) I mean... A lot of the stuff that are in Gwyneth Paltrow vitamins are sold in other forms in vitamins on InfoWars. Like, um, oh my God, don't make me pronounce this stuff. Ashwagandha is in uh, both a vitamin pack for Gwyneth's Why Am I So Effing Tired vitamins and also Alex Jones's Brain Force Plus vitamins. Well, isn't that just like a famous vitamin? Yes. Well herb whatever and we'll put that link in the in the show notes i found it kind of amusing speaking of iconic affluent white people <laughs> there's a new season of succession oh uh, yes chell you may have mittens on but you did not enter my home with a ludicrously capacious bag actually i did it's sitting over there <laughs> you are a fan of a ludicrously capacious bag honestly well i have to keep my laptop in it who knew that this was going to take over the internet tom wobsgan's ultimate read on greg's poor date although a bad choice to bring to logan's birthday party i must say so for those who haven't seen the episode this is the line she's brought in ludicrously capacious bag what what's even in there huh flat shoes for the subway or lunch pail i mean greg it's monstrous it's gargantuan you could take it camping you could slide it across the floor after a bank job well whatever not since michael rapaport's discussion of the row have i been so thoroughly entertained it's genius the bank job detail is so savage For someone that loves bank heist movies, that was a line for me because I immediately thought of the uh, robbery scene in Heat and them sliding, yeah, a gigantic bag full of money across the floor. The shoes for the subway detail is so accurate, though, because as we previously discussed in Sex in the City episodes, whether or not you have to have a separate pair of shoes in your bag is a huge signifier of class in New York. Yeah, I have not seen a bag get bodied like this since our two woman campaign to mock the Vuitton bag that Carrie gave Luis in the first Sex in the City film. (sighs) 
So the bag, I mean, the poor Burberry social media head who on Monday was like, wow, Burberry's trending. Oh my God. And then saw the reason. It is a $2,500 Burberry bag that has the Burberry plaid on it. And obviously this is not cute. Right. But it is a very ugly. I was going to say classist read of something, but it is too. Of course it's classist. (laughs) But it's, it's to distinguish that the Roys and those who are associated with them speak to and imbibe in quiet luxury, which is a phrase that has been going around since succession. And really the pandemic, I feel like, hyped that idea up. I think when we talk about quiet luxury, we have to stop framing it as a trend because that's just how a very large contingent of luxury consumers have been dressing forever. That's very true. And also the character of Tom saying that is a meta commentary because Tom was probably that person. He comes from, is it Iowa or St. Louis? Wow, I see. I sound like a real coastal piece of shit. I'm like, I don't know. It's one of those places in between. You're definitely a coastal piece of shit. And so am I. But I'm sorry to the flyover fuckettes. But Tom was clearly that person when he was brought into the world of the Roys by Shiv. But of course, instead of having empathy, he must deliver one of the most savage fashion reads ever. Not all billionaires feel this way and dress this way. Because I see women all the time Women of a certain age, women that obviously aren't new money in Beverly Hills, in Bel Air, carrying Birkins, carrying like the most giant Chanel bags that you can imagine. Like that is a thing. Or maybe that's just a thing in L.A. Maybe like that's just us being tacky. And in New York, no one carries that shit anymore. It's it's an interesting question. I mean, as I talked about in a previous episode in reference to Jen Shaw when her possessions were seized in hopes to liquidate them to be able to pay the victims of her crimes, they learned that most of her shit was fake. All the Hermes, all the Chanel, fake. I think more people than you think probably have a mix. There was an article about this that Birkin owners also have mixed in fake Birkins as well. I guess because once you have enough money to buy a real one and you see a fake one that that could pass, why not? Yeah, I think it speaks to just have a great personal style. I've I've been noticing this online discourse about Jennifer Lawrence's street style. There's like a (laughs) lot of videos and articles that it's like, what's the discourse? Just like her street style's really been slept on. And it's like, she's wearing a beautiful like, camel overcoat and oversized jeans and a baseball cap you kind of can't go wrong also on a related note i don't know if you read this article but my friend marissa Meltzer recently wrote an article for the new york times about hermes bags about birkins and how now having a new bag is seen as kind of nouveau riche or whatever day class a yeah yeah Because the idea is that like you should have an old one because if you have an old one, I guess either you were an Hermes client before it was cool or perhaps you inherited it and it's a signifier of generational wealth or you don't feel the need to keep it pristine because you can buy another one, that sort of logic. Yes, it speaks to the Olsons, which when people talk about this, the Olsons had Kelly bags in the mid-2000s that were utterly destroyed completely 
you know, the flaps were completely open. There's stuff overflowing because they didn't give a shit because they didn't have to give a shit. You also look at Jane Birkin. Who well, that's the most iconic example. Right, but she I... She has like a free Tibet sticker on her Birkin. Oh, Jane Birkin's Birkins. Yes, the woman that the bag is actually named after, which, you know, we have discussed this. I think people that fixate on Birkins now... Are, have no idea the history of the bag and the person that it's actually named after and the fact that she doesn't like the bag anymore. And yes, treats her bags as they should be, like a bag you use every day and they're kind of destroyed. This is a woman that was most famous for carrying wicker baskets as handbags before the advent of the Birkin. For those that do not know this story, Jane Birkin was on a flight in Paris. She was sat across from the CEO of Hermes at the time. He was noticing her large wicker basket. She was noting that there's really not any handbags that are large enough to fit what she needs in her daily life. And the Birkin was born. What does she need to keep in there, though? She seems like a low-maintenance person. Also, having such a gigantic bag, I mean, you really can't find anything. Also, I feel like French women, like, all they need is just, like, a little lip gloss and a pack of cigarettes. That's exploitation, Just <laughs> wreaking havoc on your brain. They need to carry baguettes, <laughs> gel. They just have a little bit of rosebud salve and, like, they call it a day. French women today need to be able to carry a Molotov cocktail so they can set all the trash on fire. So shall we get into... Beyonce's Renaissance Couture. Wow, I did not have this on my bingo card for 2023. I love the idea of a collection that is inspired by an album, especially an album like Renaissance, which is so visual and opulent. But what did you think of the actual clothes? You know, (laughs) they're very specific, as you might imagine, a collection inspired by one man listening to Beyonce's record. I would say it's more inspired by one man's journey through contemporary Scaparelli collections and 90s Gautier references, which makes sense, right? He just did that couture collection for Gautier a couple years ago. And Gautier is such a sort of queer touchstone, I think. And that makes sense with Renaissance. Uh, We should say that this is a collaboration between Beyonce and designer Olivier Rauschdings, who was listening to her album while on vacation, dreamt up 70 sketches, and then called Beyonce and was like, hey, want to do a couture collection? She was like, sure. I think it's a cool idea. They've had a productive history together. I think the peak of that being the costumes that he did for her Coachella performance. So... I I read this article several times. I even controlled F uh, the word tour. Are these going to be Beyonce's Renaissance tour looks? Because I'm sure she'll wear some, if not all of them. Yeah, you can't exactly dance in them. The chandelier skirt might be hard. So Beyonce debuted the collection last month, actually, by wearing Look 15 Pure Slash Honey to the Brit Awards. Um, and by wearing, I mean she wore the look for a pre-taped acceptance speech. Yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. I think some of them are great. I think others are, you know, don't really feel modern. The album itself is an homage to so many references of the 70s and 80s, so you can't help but have looks that are like that. I think the most limiting thing is the idea that each look is representative of one of the songs on the album. 
But I actually don't see the thought process. Like the church girl look, I'm like, hmm, I would never get that from this outfit. Another through line, I would say, is Grace Jones, who's also a through line through Renaissance as well. Yeah, we both saw the Grace Jones show 10, 12 years ago, where I think she performed 12 songs. It was a tight edit, but after every song, she changed her outfit. That's always impressed me. Yeah, that was a great show. She's performing at WeHo Pride, Lauren. Oh, shit. Yeah, we should get tickets. She changes every block. (laughs) No, she's on a stage. She's not like on a float. She hasn't fallen that far. I thought that would be cool, but that's fine. Okay, back to the collection. It's one thing to design a collection that is inspired by an album. To define each look to a particular song does sort of open the door for people to be like, huh, that's sort of not the outfit I would imagine for Cozy, but okay. Uh, Yes, thank you for bringing that up because it's not a Cozy outfit. The opposite of Cozy, in fact. It's a very... Valentino couture-esque look where you have this blazer with uh, pig feathers sticking out. It does not say cozy with who I am. The break my soul look, I'm like, I don't, that's not really what is conjured up when I think of that, but hey, I'm not a designer, nor am I Beyonce, and she's always correct. We should note that this is a historic collaboration because Beyonce designing this couture collection is the first time that a black woman has overseen the couture offering from a historic Parisian house. That's cool. But again, I hate these kind of firsts. They're depressing. You do have a point. I guess I should ask, is Tatiana okay? Because I heard about this canceled Supreme Balenciaga collaboration, and I I just (laughs) want to know how she's doing. More than one person sent her the link to the article and was just like, I'm sorry. What sucks is in these leaked images, Dad would wear all of it. Yeah, of course. So this collection was presumably canceled because of the Balenciaga controversy, which makes sense when you remember that Supreme is owned by a huge corporation. Although pandering to people who believe in pedophilic conspiracy theories is a weird look for a brand that sells shirts that say fuck on them. When the when the subversive streetwear brand goes corporate. Although it is fascinating how Supreme's brand identity continues to be fuck the establishment, yet they literally collaborate with like Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah, they don't care. No, Oh, no, I know they don't care. I'm just saying, I think it's really amazing that they have been able to be so niche and so mainstream at the same time. Well, it's a very Gen X concept of authenticity, which is like, we're never going to sell out, but we're going to sell out. Speaking of which, don't we have an ad for modern fertility right now? <laughs> no, not this week. <laughs> My question is, we know that they shot the campaign, but did they manufacture the clothes? Because if some Chinese factory is making bonfires out of this shit, that's going to depress me. Um, I don't know, because the idea was, was it during the spring-summer collection that we saw the first Balenciaga box logo shirt? And that was kind of the first indication that this collaboration was coming. Oh, I don't remember that at all. So presumably, at at the very least, those shirts were produced because the spring-summer collection is hitting the stores now. 
but I don't know about this other stuff. If there is the black market for this, it'll be the price of most people's mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to another collab, Mugler and H&M. You know, H&M has been democratizing high fashion by doing these collaborations for years. I had sort of forgotten that this was still going on, but here we are. Yeah, the Simone Rocha one that happened during the pandemic was the last one that came on my radar, I think. But this one is good because I feel like often with the H&M collections, they collaborate with an amazing designer, but the prints and the colorways for the H&M collection are so specific that at first glance, you'd be like, that's from H&M. Whereas this like looks exactly like Mugler. The jeans look identical. It's an interesting collaboration because I don't know if there's been another designer that's done an H&M collaboration whose stuff has been so ripped off by fast fashion. Yeah, specifically Fashion Nova, not even H&M. No, not, not H&M. It makes sense that they would want to get in on that. I think the democratization of pricing is still very important, but I agree with you. It's not an H&M-ified version of Mugler. It's still right. what you would see and have seen on the runway. Yeah, we need to see what the quality is. Right, because anything can be styled to look expensive. Anything can also be retouched. Very fair. So the collection is divided into different segments. You have tailoring, which will include little black dresses, dressy separates, crystallized pieces. Then uh, there is a, quote, Berlin clubby leathery fashion section, which sounds like it's for me. <laughs> Um, which for some reason, the nude illusion jeans with the spiral lycra inserts are included in the Berlin clubby section. And then there are two archival pieces that I believe were seen in that introduction video on uh, Mugler Muses, Connie Fleming and Jerry Hall. Yeah, those are the pieces for me, those suits. Which, <laughs> when I worked for a still unnamed eccentric actress, uh, when we parted ways, she gave me two Mugler suits that remain in storage that I should bring out and have tailored. Yes, absolutely. Also, I do think the campaign video for this is so fun, so delightful, directed by Torso, who worked with Mugler on their last fashion show on all of the videos they've done in recent years. And... It's just so good. The runway collections, all those videos you've seen that makes you feel like you're in Inception or The Matrix or something with those camera moves, that's uh, that's them. Because so many people have tried to make a quote unquote fashion film and almost no one has succeeded. And of the people that have succeeded, I wouldn't say that many of those fashion films are quote unquote fun or entertaining even. There's a lot of talk about just how like the internet has broken people's brains and they want things faster and faster. But I think what Torso has figured out is that to make a successful fashion film, it's like just take a runway show and take all the boring parts out, which is really what they do through their editing, where it's just constant motion of new looks. But there's also a lot of storytelling coming into it now. Like with this video, we have a pop group we have this late night talk show with jerry hall and connie fleming i also love how the mugler designer casey cadwallader is in it which feels very like halston-esque or something it's certainly what mugler would have done i feel like if he himself had lived and remained at mugler and had an h&m collection he would be in the video 
So, Chelsea, all of our questions will be answered May 11th when this collection will be debuting in stores. Oh, I hate when they do select stores. It's like, can you tell me what those select stores are and do I live nearby them? But it's also available online. If you get it online, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Don't go to the store. I know. No word on the exact price points of these looks, which I'll be very interested to see. I feel like the most expensive thing will be like a trench coat that's like $350 or something. Only time will tell. All right, Chell, is it time to talk about the new Lana Del Rey record? Sure. As an American whore myself, I relate strongly to her vision. (sighs) So the new album, Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard? Very Nancy Drew-esque title, might I say. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the secret in the tunnel under Ocean Boulevard. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you, Nancy Drew. Yeah, I mean, I go in and out with Lana Del Rey. I don't have the widest musical palette, but I will say I think this is maybe her best record. Some Interesting. Of, some of her best lyrics, I would say, in like the evolution of her as an artist. I think it's her best record since Norman fucking Rockwell. Or it's my, I don't know. It's so hard to say, though. It's like picking a favorite child. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think lyrically A&W, which... A&W is a masterpiece. Yeah, which stands for American Whore, is the strongest song on the record. Lyrically, some of her most interesting work. It also, as a whole, everything about who she is as an artist, she obviously has such a distinctive sound. She has such a specific worldview. There's no one else really like her. She's really carved out a niche for herself, and you just have to respect Whether you like her or you don't like her, she's in a league of her own. That's true. But I also, what I think fascinates me about this album is the persona that Lizzie Grant, now Lana Del Rey, set up for herself over the past decade, for better or for worse, she's sort of reflecting on that. Like there's a line in A&W that I don't know if you clocked where she says, if I told you that I was raped, do you really think that anyone would think I didn't ask for it? Of course I clocked that (laughs) lyric. What do you mean? Well, she has no interest in pandering to anyone or being politically correct, which is one of the things that makes her unique. I think this is the most Lana Del Rey has ever Lana Del Rey'd, right? Like, the lyric, fuck me to death, love me until I love myself, is the most Lana Del Rey lyric. Like, if you were writing a satire Lana Del Rey record, that is the lyric you would write. Yeah, no one else would write that. And a cool thing about Lana is that it seems like she does just care about making music in contrast to other musicians because she really isn't trying to sell us anything but music. Oh, I see your point. She doesn't have 1,500 collaborations. She doesn't have a talk show. No, she did do a Gucci Guilty campaign with Jared Leto a while back, but I can't even remember her being the face of any sort of brand apart from that. And again, it's not like she was one of those Gucci people that is in Gucci at every show, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she was just at the one met with Alessandro. Yeah. I would love to know her preoccupation with Long Beach. Like, I love <laughs> I love all the references to uh, LA-specific stuff, like hiking up Griffith, going to the Beverly Center. She clearly listened to a lot of Sublime in high school, you <laughs> oh, know, as right. we all did, so... And that's one of the most fun things when she has a new record. It's seeing what pop culture references will get in the record. 
in in this one we get we don't get sublime but we get red hot chili peppers we get a tribe called quest and then we get a bunch of sort of i guess boomer icons right we get hotel california we get john denver harry nielsen whole song about margaret qualley <laughs> Oh, that's right. We hear how um, Jack Antonoff and Margaret Qualley met and maybe are married, question mark. Aren't they engaged? Didn't we know that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. When did Jack Antonoff get a new voice? Has this been going on for a long time? Because I'll admit I'm not super familiar with his music, but last time I checked, he didn't have a voice like Bill Callahan. So I'm just curious about this. That was a pivot. We all go through our Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born moment. <laughs> the Austin Butler voice is going to come for all of us at one point in our life. We also got a Forensic Files reference. <gasps> oh, that spoke to me so deeply. My God, do I love Forensic Files. So there's classic Forensic File Chell, and I get this wouldn't work for a song, but there's Forensic File 2, which is they came back out of syndication and made new Forensic Files. Anyway, <laughs> we also got a interlude with a man named Joda Smith, who is a mega pastor. Yeah, Hillsong. Ugh. That doesn't bother me. I thought that was cool, actually. And she obviously recorded it on her own phone right. during this, this service. That's the kind of thing it's like, I've listened to this album top to bottom a few times where I listen to the interludes, but I'm never going to listen to them again now. No. How do you feel about interludes in, in modern records? Because growing up in the 90s, it was a real interlude heavy I know. period. I know. It's like when you're just trying to listen to the miseducation of Lauren Hill and you have to listen to all those goddamn school children. Or what's worse is I was recently listening to the Janet album, but I had it on set to random. So then it would just be the interludes yeah. out of sequence. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know. I find interludes always, they unsettle me. And especially that one on Lana's record, because the band's just yelling. And I just don't like indiscriminate yelling in the distance somewhere. It was, if you haven't listened to this record yet, be careful if you're listening uh, with headphones or <laughs> AirPods, it will blow out your eardrum. I feel like this album wouldn't be the album that it is without those things. It is kind of all over the place in a sense. She did work with a very wide range of very disparate collaborators. But I think the way that she uses everyone is kind of fascinating. It's almost very Kanye-esque in the sense that I feel like she uses people's vocals more as instruments right. than in a way that sort of takes the form of a more traditional duet. Which we've gotten a bunch of those from her in the past. Most iconically, the Stevie Nicks one, Beautiful People, Beautiful Problems. You would love that one, wouldn't you? Yeah. Looking at someone like Lady Gaga and how her career's matured and someone like Lana Del Rey, right? Committing to a persona can eventually back you into a corner. And I just think that this album is such an interesting interpretation of continuing that persona which at this point is just her i don't even think it's a persona like yeah she changed her name but this is who she is i don't really think she's a very contrived person yeah i think it's a it's a really strong record i would i would see her on tour have you ever seen her i never have which is criminal but i definitely will the next time she tours these singers are trying to bankrupt us chelsea this year <laughs> well i don't think she's announced a tour also, before we wrap this up, there's a couple of other pop culture references in here that I think we need to unpack. Sure. 
First of all, the reference to Diary of a Teenage Girl in A&W, she like fucked up the title. This is like if we were talking about this movie on the podcast (laughs) and fucked up the title and then got like 50 messages um, because she says watching Teenage Diary of a Girl, people believe is a reference to Marielle Heller's film Diary of a Teenage Girl, which thematically makes sense within the song A&W. That movie is incredible, by the way. Uh, yes, it came out in 2015. It had Belle Powley, Alexander Skarsgård, Kristen Wiig, your love Christopher Maloney was in it. Yeah, it's one of the greatest coming-of-age movies ever, I think. Also, Marielle Heller, is she my favorite director? Because she also directed Can You Ever Forgive Me? Did you see your Mr. Rogers film with Tom Hanks? Because I did not. I did. Yeah, why not? Well, we have some really good L.A. references on the song Sweet, specifically the lyric, if you want some basic bitch, go to the Beverly Center and find her. Which, how do we feel about this? Does going to the Beverly Center make you a basic bitch? I guess the Grove didn't have the same ring to it because that's really where basic bitches are. The Beverly Center is pretty basic. But I don't know how many people go to the Beverly Center unless you're trying to go to a Uniqlo. That's what I was about to say. There's one reason to go there and it's because there's a Uniqlo inside of it. Although look, it's very nice after the renovation. I honestly forget it's there. That's more my thing is I think the Grove didn't have the same ring to it because that's where the basic bitches are because the basic bitches can't find the Beverly Center. There are basic bitches in the Beverly Center, though. Shall we go? Shall we do an investigative report? You're acting as if this is a place you never, ever go. Like, you have to go to the Beverly Center at least once a year to go to Uniqlo, right? That's true. Or it's the only place that you can get an Apple uh, service appointment. Yeah, that's... (laughs) That's so true. That's half the time the only reason I go to the Grove as well. I was returning something at the Beverly Center recently and I was hungry and I was like, oh, there's an egg slut here, which is a very good uh, egg-based breakfast establishment. And you cannot access it from inside the mall. I literally had to go out onto La Cienega. You don't need to tell me that. I know. Why would you have a mall restaurant that you have to exit the mall to get to? There's also a Takaya down there, and it's the same thing. Look, if you're going to go to a mall in L.A., let it be the Century City Westfield. We co-sign that. Because at the Grove, there's nowhere to eat. At the Beverly Center, you're in the Beverly Center. Also, the Grove and the Americana have the Rick Caruso relation to it. So, <laughs> Do we have any Kardashian news? Not really. A teaser trailer dropped for the new Kardashian season. I could give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to say about it. No, because here's the thing. We've been rickrolled for two seasons now. I don't care that Kim is like, okay, let's get into it. It's like, get into what? You guys are covering stuff that happened 18 months ago. You still haven't talked about Astroworld. (laughs) I don't really think you're going to get into the Nazis holding the banner over the 101. Or Ozempic usage. We're not going to get anything we want to see. Chelsea, I will never get over the fact that we didn't even get Trav and Courtney's wedding. Do you remember that? You would think that we got it from the reality show. But we saw so many photos, paparazzi photos, and entertainment news footage of their wedding that we think we got their wedding on the Kardashians, but we did not. You just blew my mind with that. Will we be watching this season? Of course. Will we talk about it? That's still up for discussion. Wait, also, is Tyga really dating Avril Lavigne? Yes. So crazy. 
Oh, I mean, there have been plenty of videos plotting this out, right? Because Avril Lavigne dated Brody Jenner, who is the stepbrother to Kylie, who dated Tyga. Yeah, it's a lot to process. It is just very strange that she has inserted herself into this family on multiple occasions. And the fact that, was it her and Brody that went to Kim's... Wedding? Second wedding, I think. Oh. It's just weird to be able to date anyone and be able to talk shit about a family that you both separately dated into. Like, it's weird that they each have a collective knowledge of Kris Jenner, personally. Right. Well, also, Avril Lavigne is signed to Travis Barker's record label, right? Oh, my God. So there's that connection as well. Oh, so she's like seen Trav on the regular. Well, Avril and Brody may have gone to Kim's wedding to Chris Humphreys because when I look it up, uh, there is a photo of Kim chilling with Chris Humphreys and Brody and Avril together. Right. Yeah, that was the era. So much time has gone by. They dated between 2010 and 2012, Brody Jenner and Avril Lavigne. Yeah. And then 10 years later to date Tyga. I've always had the belief that there are like five to six men that women in Hollywood can date and they just sort of rotate. Yeah, there might be some truth to that. I'll do a more well-researched infographic coming up on that. All right, Chell, we've come to the end of the podcast. Have your hands warmed up yet? Oh, yeah, they're toasty. Nice. So do you think that Diane Keaton does that because her hands are cold and not because she's trying to mitigate uh, skin damage on her hands? I think she also has figured out that gloves are incredibly glamorous. That was my way of asking, do you think you're going to start incorporating gloves into your everyday look? Well, it's kind of hard in L.A. Although when I lived in New York, I had a pair of leather elbow gloves that I wore a lot during the winter. And I actually really like that look. I'd bring those back. That's nice. I mean, L.A. has basically become a frozen tundra, so we might have to adopt a year-round gloves look. Yeah, and it's like not even cold in New York. That's the crazy thing. Nothing makes sense anymore. Avril Lavigne is with Tyga. I've forgotten what, what warm weather even feels like. Miami was so long ago. Anyway, thank you guys for listening as always. I will be back next week. Bye. Bye.